Gimp come up here and pray for you. <laughs> oh, I'll release the kids after we pray for Paula because I need to go with you. Hang on, kids. Hang on. We don't have no idea what you're going to do if you get out there unattended. <laughs> so, Father, is there any special way we could pray for you no, today? Just, just okay. Everybody, I invite you to reach out your hands if you want. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this ambassador. We thank you for a woman that's devoted her life to loving you first and being available to what you have to say. So in your powerful name, we give Paula the peace that passes all understanding, the clarity of a teacher, the um, power of 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 a mighty warrior, which we see in her many, many times come out as she brings us the word. Give us ears to hear, God. Give us your light on our path. In your precious name we pray. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Shel. No, I'll do handheld. <laughs> I'm old school. Hi, everybody. Okay, dismiss the kids. Go with Shel. All right, I'm just getting situated here. How is everyone? You good? Yeah. Good. Um, hold on. That's the wrong message. <laughs> oh, gosh. Just felt my life pass before my eyes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Right message. Okay. Um, I want to talk this morning about the life-changing love of God. And I uh, really specifically felt like that's what God wanted me to bring. And so um, just a simple message. Oh, shoot. I don't have my phone. What time is it? Will you give me a... What? Okay. Will you give me a... No, but just, you know, do this. <laughs> or start yawning. That's, <laughs> that's a good wrap-up signal for me. So, ah, thank you. So, we're going to talk about God's love this morning. This is something that um, is always good for us to hear. And honestly, it's something that he's been speaking to me and encouraging me. And, you know, I've been walking with God for 30 years. And I still, at times, struggle with the feeling of, does Does God love me? Am I pleasing to him? And I find myself sort of walking a tightrope. Can anyone else relate to that? Not all the time, but at times. I find myself like, don't fall off. Be real careful. And um, the Lord's been just speaking to me lately and just wanting to sort of relieve me of that and wanting wanting to help me to stop defaulting to that, to defaulting to... Does God love me? Does God like me? Am I okay? Am I good enough? You might be in a relationship or relationships, or you might, uh, it might be that you were raised in such a way that unless you were the best little girl or the best little boy in the whole world, you weren't quite sure that you were good enough. You weren't quite sure that you were loved. And what that creates is sort of a people-pleasing, I'm going to do the best I can, I'm going to be so excellent, I'm going to try so hard, but that is not freedom. 
there is so much tension in that kind of love, and that's that what I talked about, walking that tightrope, that place of tension, that place of I'm going to be good enough for God, and, and then he's going to love me. And if my behavior should go this way and I'm not doing so good, then, oh, boy, Lord, you know, I hope you accept me back into your presence when he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And I really felt so strongly that he told me, just go remind them that I love them. I love them. So I'm going to start with Jeremiah 31, three says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. So if others have let you down, if you have let yourself down, or if those who have professed their love to you turned out not to love you, he loves you with an unfailing love, unfailing, cannot fail, will not fail, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you'll do in your future, doesn't matter if you doubt his love, it cannot fail. His love is true. His love is solid. It'll hold you. It won't fail you. It's like a big, solid oak chair. And you're exhausted and you want to sit down in the chair. His love is like that. It's not going to crash to the ground and turn out not to be true. He is not going to turn out not to be true. He's not going to turn out to not be as good as he says he is. While man will fail you because we're all frail, and I'm sure I've failed my own kids in loving them. I'm sure I've failed my own spouse and my own friends at times. God will not fail us. He cannot fail us. His love is unfailing. And so you can sit down in that big oak chair. You can take a load off. You can be yourself. You can be yourself. You don't have to put on. You don't have to act better and holier and more like a princess. You could just be yourself. He sees it all. He's the one that's going to refine you. You don't have to refine you so that you can come into his presence. You just come into his presence and he'll refine you. You could say, well, it's Kai, Paula, it's taking a long time. I know, right? It is taking a long time. Every time I think, well, I, I feel like I kind of have it together now. I have been holy for like five, six hours. I'm like, I feel like I'm on the right track now. Then something invariably happens. Like someone comes home and then I was alone and really holy. <laughs> and then, and then the family comes home and all of a sudden I'm a sinner again. It's the people. It's the people. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> Zephaniah 317 in the New Living Translation says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take great delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God rejoices over you with joyful songs. Think about that. He, so, so when I'm suffering, and if you know, if you were at the women's retreat, if you were at the here the last time I was here, then you know I'm going through a season of suffering. So if I'm suffering, if you're suffering, or if you're not, but this will help if you are, he's rejoicing over you with joyful songs. 
think about that. While I'm in a place of suffering or grieving or trial or hardship, he's rejoicing over me with joyful songs. Like he comes and he covers me and he's like, oh, I love you, my darling one. It's all going to be okay. I love you. I'm rejoicing over you. And he's singing. He's singing joyful songs over me. As I press into him, and as I plug into his presence, I can begin to hear those songs. I might not get every word of it, but I can start to feel the joyful song of the Lord. It's not just me singing to him. It's not just me singing out to him and worshiping him and and chasing him and running after him like the woman with the issue of blood and pressing into him. Those are all so good, but it's him coming and hovering over me in my pain and hovering over me in my trial and Him coming and saying, I love you, 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 love you, I love you, I do. I love you, 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 I do. And he sings that over me. Do any of you hear the song of the Lord and sing it back to him, what he's singing to you? Try it. And you just open your mouth and you begin singing and let him give you the song he's singing over you. It'll change your life. It'll rock your world. It'll take you in deep and it'll show you that no amount of performance could change or alter the fact that he loves you. He does. You can sit in that chair. I feel like some of you have been standing there uptight and stiff. And just wondering, like, how can I be acceptable? You just are. He just loves you. It's not like we are with each other, where sometimes we don't accept each other. You know, it's, it's better than that. It's so much better than that. Psalm 32, 7 says, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And again, open your mouth and begin to sing the song of deliverance that God is singing over you. You, you, in the middle of that hardship, in the middle of your trials, in the middle of the things that you're going through, or even the suffering you might be doing for your child that's going through trouble, or your spouse, or your friend, begin to sing the songs of, the, the, of deliverance that the Lord is singing. He'll give you access to those. I'm sure there's much we don't have access to in heaven. But he will give you access to those songs of deliverance. He's just waiting for you to start to sing them out over yourself. And you could think, oh, that was such an awesome song. Where did that come from? From him. He's singing it over you. He's surrounding you with songs of deliverance. So even when you, you are in the middle of the trial and you think, I am painted into a corner. There is no way out of this thing. This is too bad. I do not see how I could come out of this hole. The Lord is singing right at that time. He is singing songs of deliverance over you. He, that song of deliverance is surrounding you, and he is beginning to break off the oppression that's in your life. Does that mean that when you sing the song of deliverance that the oppression will immediately break? Sometimes. Sometimes not. Sometimes that song of deliverance will just surround you and surround you and you will go through your trial surrounded by his song of deliverance. You will come out the other side, but you will come out the other side 
with your head high. You'll come out the other side. You might be sweaty and you might be scraped and you might be dirty, but you are going to cross that finish line with your shoulders pulled back, smiling, having made it through that trial because of his song of deliverance. Not because you're so great, not because you're so strong, but you'll come out. And if you could see what you look like crossing the finish line of that trial, what you look like is surrounded by the song of deliverance. Surrounded by his song, this song that if we could see into the spirit, we would see it, the notes swirling us. We could see the angels attending us. We could hear the song, the, the, the power, the breaking, the strong, the bold song of God. Okay, Psalm 5, 11 through 12 says, But let all of you take, but let all, but, sorry, let all you take refuge in not enough coffee. It's Mary's fault. <laughs> no, Mary served me coffee, I swear. <laughs> but let all you take refuge. Thank you. Okay, it's a typo that somebody who, who made these notes. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. So spread your protection over them. I was looking that up, and the Hebrew word for that phrase, spread your protection over them, is S-A-K-A-K, to fence in cover over, protect, defend, hedge in, join together. God's love actually creates a protection, a tent, a safe place for us in this life. And in the midst of what we go through, the ups and the downs, his love will create like this protection. It's spread over us. It's like You remember when you were a kid and you would build a tent and you would go into the tent like in the living room and you'd have it with sheets or blankets and you'd crawl in there? Or do any of you have like a kitty that goes into those little tent places and they look out at you like, you can't get me, (laughs) right? That's what it is. It's like this tent, this protection that you crawl into. And it's his love. Some of you have been shouldering the storm. You've been standing out, getting beaten, beaten up by the hail and the wind and the rain and the torrent and the flooding. And the Lord has been like calling you, come into the place of my favor. Come into the hiding place with me. And you're like, God, as soon as the storm stops, I'm going to seek you like nothing else. I'm going to worship you, Lord, as soon as I get through this week. And he's like, come hide in me in the middle of it. You're like, God. I, I want to, but I got to think about the storm. I got to figure the storm out, Lord. And as soon as I get this thing figured out, as soon as I think it through, as soon as things calm down, I'm going to press in and seek you. When in the middle of it, he was that protection spread over you. He was your defender. In the middle of it, he wanted to surround you with his favor. Just go into his presence in the storm. Don't wait till the storm passes. Don't wait till you have it all together. Don't wait till you clean yourself up. Just go in now. And so um, that reminded me um, about God sort of having his protection in the middle of a storm. And my mom, um, when her mom was getting ready to go be, um, be with Jesus, and this was years ago, 
And my mom was at the hospital every day. And she knew that her time was, you know, coming to a close. And her mother, so dear to her, so such a dear friend and so close. And so um, she finally decided, I just need to go to church. Like, I need to take a day off. And she decided to take Sunday off. And she thought, I'll go back to the hospital and continue my vigil on Monday. So she goes to church, and she's spending time with God. She's feeling refreshed. And she said, this person came next to her, and she said, I couldn't even tell you if it was a man or a woman, but um, when they greeted each other, this person took her hands in theirs and looked her in the eye and said, God's peace be with you. And she said at that moment, she knew that she was supposed to go back to the hospital, even though she had decided to take the day off, and um, went back to the hospital and spent the afternoon basically, you know, ushering her mom up to the gate and dropping her off. And her mom went to be with Jesus. And it's such an incredible story of, of you know, her letting her mom know you can go now and her mom passing. And she just said, you know, it was like the privilege of her lifetime to be with her mom um, through that. And I just think how amazing. I just saw that as this tent in this absolute saddest part of my mom's life that she had been through. There was this incredible, beautiful sanctuary of God. Isn't he so good? Isn't, haven't you found that the most miraculous things in life are so natural? Like, you think they'd be more supernatural, God writing something in the sky or a bush on fire or whatever. But honestly, his miracles are so, they're hidden in the normal. Like, she will tell you, she will look you in the eye and say, that was an angel, and I know it was an angel. Without any doubt, the person who came and spoke to her that day and that she knew the message was to go back to the hospital. But it was just hidden in plain sight. And that's what that tent and that canopy and that hiding place of God, honestly, it's just hidden in the plain sight of his presence. It's just hidden right there in the middle of the trial of losing her mother. It's just hidden right there in the difficult marriage if you're in one. It's just hidden right there in your your infirmity and you're ill and you're like, where is God in the middle of this trial? Where is God? God, where are you? He is right smack in the middle of that thing. And there is a place of safety and refuge, a tent of his dwelling in his favor that is right there. Yeah. You know, um, the Lord spoke to me about three years ago. I don't know if I've shared it. I probably have. And I wish I could find the picture, but I couldn't. But right before I began going into a, a dark time and a trial, I looked at my phone and it was 555 and um, the the background was the current weather conditions, which were stormy. So it was pictures of all these dark storm clouds and rain, and it said 555. And I felt so compelled to screenshot it, so I did. And I was like, wow, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what God could be speaking about that storm clouds. wonder, you know, <laughs> maybe it's, it's rain of blessing coming my way. It's not what it meant. And, um... And so then I felt like I felt like he was saying, go back and look at it again. And I went and looked at the screenshot, and it was 555. It was 55 degrees, and it was very, very, very stormy. And I said, well, what does that mean, Holy Spirit? And he said, grace, 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 grace. Yeah, and I was like, wow, lots of grace needed. And I, I, in all honesty, I was starting to get a clue at that point. Like, I might want to buckle in. I, 
I, I kind of felt like, gosh, I, this, is, this could be a stormy week or a stormy month. Spiritually, never in my wildest imagination thinking that the Lord was saying, hang on, it's going to be a stormy, you know, half a decade. <laughs> You're like that. And it messed with my Pollyanna theology, which which I have held on to for 30 long years of walking with God. I have held on to my Pollyanna theology. It's all going to be okay. Everything's going to end well. Everything's going to go great for me. I'm God's favorite kitten, and I won't have any troubles or trials, and if I do, I'll ignore them and call it faith. And I, it, did, it just didn't work. It got, me, it got me to about 25 years, and then I was like, okay, something's up with this theology. You know, going back to the Word and finding out what does God say to us in the middle of a trial. He says that you'll go through them. Everyone goes through them. He says he's the ultimate victory no matter what happens. And he says his grace will cover you completely and thoroughly in the middle of it. His grace is like a quilt. Like on a cold day, you know how all you want is a big down quilt when you go to sleep. That's him. He covers every corner. Your foot's not sticking out. It's not too short. Like every part of you is covered by his grace over the top, every corner. As you go through trial, there's a, that place of safety. He's so good. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And the Lord said to me, I love you. I am love. He is everything love is, right? So God is patient with you. God has kindness in his heart for you. God doesn't dishonor you. I mean, take it personally. Like, Jan, God never dishonors you. Emily, God is never, ever easily angered with you. He doesn't go, oh, oh, my gosh, Emily, you just, like, that's the last straw, girl. You're done. You did that again? (laughs) Which, it's good I'm picking you because you don't do much wrong. (laughs) But, you know, he's not easily angered. Were you raised by someone who was easily angered? Are you married to someone who was easily angered? You know that feeling of walk, walk on pins and needles, try and do it good enough. Don't make them mad. Don't, hopefully what I do will be good enough this time. God's not like that. He's not easily angered. He's not just waiting for you to do the next thing wrong so he can fly into a rage and scare you with his anger. He's not easily angered. Oh, it's such good news. He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not have a list of what you have done. Mark, I have a list. I've kept it. I'm keeping a record. If you do it, that's number 17 you're out. He's not keeping a record. He's throwing him away. Isn't that such good news? He always protects you. Did you know he always trusts you? He trusts you. Why does God put us in charge of things? Why does God let us uh, give us ministry or give us jobs or give us businesses or give us children? You know why? Because he trusts us. And when we fail, he helps us back up. And then he's like, I still trust you. Like, should you? Do you? (laughs) I don't really 
trust me. I don't know. I'm not very good at this. I used to tell my son, Andrew, when he would complain about what a bad parent was, parent I was, I would say, you know, just you can tell it to your analyst for $100 an hour. <laughs> Parenting award, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I was better the second kid because eight years went by, but I, I'm so imperfect. And yet I know that the Lord was saying, I trust you. I trust you. He always hopes the best for you. Oh, God is not giving me pain, sickness, trials, or troubles. He's hoping the best for me. He's giving me peace in the midst of anything I go through. He's so good. He always perseveres with you. He doesn't get sick of you and say, I mean, haven't you ever done something so bad? And then you're like, God, I will never do that again. I stand before you, Lord, and I promise you, I will never go that route again. I will never do that again. And have you ever found yourself doing it again? You made a solemn promise before God, and you did it again? I have. Like, oh, I did it again. Oh, God. I'll never, I'll never do that again. But he perseveres with me. He hangs in there with me. He says, oh, I love you. I, you know, I have felt the Lord look me in the eye and be like, I believe you'll never do it again. <laughs> and again, it's like, you do? <laughs> okay. <sighs> okay. I probably never will. And then God's love will never fail you. He'll never fail you. He'll never let go of you. John 3.13 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That word that God so loved, that word loved, it means to be a friend, fond of, have affection, personal attachment, sentiment, feeling, and deliberate love. It's deliberate. It's on purpose. It's duty. It's love that is of the heart and of the head. So he doesn't just bypass what he's thinking to love you. He doesn't have to ignore his emotions to love you. He loves you of the heart and of the head. Have you ever had someone in your life that you can love them if you don't think about it too much? (laughs) I agape love you because it's the right thing to do. I will love you, right? (laughs) We all have those people. But then have you ever loved someone from your heart, but you didn't use your head enough? You're like, I just love you. I love you. I love you. And you're like, your friends are like, think it through. Wait. (laughs) You're just going all heart here. You might want to think that. He loves you with his heart and his head. He's thought about it. He's taken in all the variables. He understands exactly who you are, and he still has chosen to love you. And his heart's engaged with you. He, his heart feels love for you. He's pulled in affection towards you. Okay. Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. I love this scripture as an example because, you know, he likes you. If he didn't like you, he wouldn't take you by the hand. If he didn't like you, he wouldn't be your front and rear guard. If he didn't like you, he wouldn't stick closer than a brother. He likes you. He loves you. He takes you by the right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. One time, the Lord showed me about a year ago, he showed me what that scripture looked like. I was like imagining Jesus taking me by the hand. Come on, I'm 
going to help you. Don't be afraid. You know, and but he, he showed me like it was so much more deep and bold and better than that. So he showed me that we were arm in arm and our fingers were actually entwined elbow to elbow. And he was leading me across the, the, the raging river that had become my life. He had my hand in his hand. We, our fingers were entwined. We were going through that thing together. And he is screaming over the torrent, over the loud rushing of the water. Do not fear. I'm with you. Okay, Jesus. And we walk through it together. He is more real and more intricately involved in our trials than we ever give him credit for. He is better than you think he is. It's not that he's going to turn out to not be as good as you hoped. He's far better than you think he is. <clears throat> oh, and then this one. Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Romans 8.35. Who shall separate you? Okay, if I no longer have to hold on to my Pollyanna theology, then that means that if I go through trial, God is not mad at me. I'm not separate from him. If I have a Pollyanna theology and I have everything through rose-colored glasses, then as soon as something horrible hits me, I'm like, oh, I didn't believe right. Oh, I didn't rebuke the enemy enough. Oh, I did something wrong. It, it gets you and like, it really takes you back to being the best little girl in the whole wide world. But could anything separate me from his love? Nothing. And um, oh, I remembered, I tried to find it on YouTube and I couldn't. I think it's just too old. But in the 1980s, I saw this um, news story on like a 2020 kind of show and um, raise your hand if, while I'm telling it if anyone is familiar or saw it too. It was a woman in Las Vegas. It was in a high-rise, um, like a 20-story, 25-story building at the top or near the top having her hair done at a salon. And the top of the hotel caught on fire. And so she um, and these other women, there was about five or six of them that – didn't get saved. People went up to the roof and got saved. People went down and got saved, but these ladies were stuck. And the fire was at their heels, man. I mean, it was just getting closer and closer and closer and filling with smoke. So they have news footage of all this. Then they show the women are hanging out the window. They're waving things, but they can't get them for whatever reasons. They cannot get to them. They're trying. They're trying to figure it out. And, um, and then you can see in the footage, you can actually see the fire behind the women. So now they're silhouetted in this window, and the fire's behind them. And, um, and then the first one jumps, because dying that way is better than being burned. And, um, and then the next one jumps, and then um, uh, the pregnant one jumps. And then there's one left, and she's outside of the window hanging from some drapes so she can breathe. You can actually see the fire coming out the window, and, um, and she jumps, but she lived. And so she jumped down to the roof of the building below. It was a seven-story uh, drop. She jumped down to it and obviously was, you know, mangled and hurt, but survived and went on to live life. She's recovered. And um, 
So they were interviewing her on the story. And it was so cool because she gave such glory to God. So she said, everyone else had jumped and I was hanging there. She said, I just was so, you know, scared and I just didn't want to die. And she said, I, w- I had already decided I wasn't going to jump. She's like, I would rather be burned and maybe the firemen will come, whatever. And she, she goes, I just couldn't. And she said, the Lord came and stood right, outside, right beyond where she was hanging onto that curtains on the edge of the window. And she said, Jesus stood right in front of me in the air. And he put his arms out and he said, go ahead and jump. And she said, and I jumped. I had the courage. And I jumped. And I lived. And she said, he saved me. She's like, I don't know why he saved me and he didn't save the others. But he caught her. You know, I, I, it's just so, like, in the middle of horrendous situations, in the middle of whatever it is we're going through, he's so supernaturally natural. He's so faithful. You know, in that theology where bad things do sometimes happen, to us and we go through trials he's right there the thing is maybe to the other women he said the same thing and maybe they got to be with him for the rest you know for eternity in heaven because let's face it everyone in a burning building turns to god i mean i i would assume i would assume even the unbelievers like whatever you're turning to god and so i don't know if she hadn't lived and she had fallen down and she had died she she'd be living out her eternity but it wasn't her time I, was, I always found that story so compelling, just his love, his love, his love, his goodness in the middle of, because I guess in, back in the day, I'd be like, well, God, why couldn't you have warned her about the fire? Why couldn't she have gotten out of there before the fire? I don't know. How, why do those bad things happen? I don't know, right? Do you know, Hope? We don't know. Mark, do you know? No, see, it's the unanswerable question. We don't know. We don't need to know. All I know is God is faithful and good and a covering and a shield in the middle of it all. Okay. Coming in for landing. So Ephesians 3.19 says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To know this love, to know it intimately, to know it, to let it sink down into your soul. So with your quirks, with your faults, with your insecurities, in your failure, in your struggle, in your imperfection, to know this love, to let it seep down into your spirit and to take it all in. He wants you to be like a sponge. You know how you pour water on a sponge and it just takes it in and it just takes it in and it keeps taking it in? That you had taken his love like that. That you would be filled with the knowledge of his love. That you'd be full to overflowing with the knowledge of his love. Because you know what happens with people like that? They get squeezed out on other people, right? The people who are filled with his love just get squeezed out. And sometimes it is easy to think, well, why does that person always get used? Or why does that person always get squeezed out? Why is that person always out doing the works of God? Like, Lord, what's wrong with me? Sometimes there's not one thing wrong with you other than you just need to get filled up with his love. Just more of his love, and then he can use you. Okay, I just wanted to end on this. The first is that God loves us. The second, the response to him loving us is that we love him back. And then, of course, you know, we love each other and we love ourselves. 
But the response to, sometimes we think like, I'm going to show God how much I love him. I'm going to seek him. I'm going to seek him. And that's so good. But really it begins with, he first loved us. Receive that love and then throw that all back at him. And it becomes a beautiful fountain of his goodness. First John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then Matthew 24, 12 says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I always found that scripture depressing. Well, it is depressing, right? <laughs> because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I really believe that that begins with their love has grown cold because they're not connecting to him to receive his love. That's where it starts. It starts with receiving God's love and then pouring out your love back to him and then being able to love each other, right? How do you love incredibly difficult people? By loving God and being loved by God. It's the only way. Otherwise, you know, you just, you're just like, eh, you're cut off, eh, you're cut off. I mean, pretty soon everyone's cut off because we're all difficult. Really, you just need the love of God operating in your life to stay in relationships that are difficult or seemingly impossible. Okay, and then um, really, I believe that, um, it's funny, Jan and I had a conversation in the car yesterday. We were talking about that the only safe place is in God's revealed will for your life. And you know that God's love language is obedience? <laughs> it's in the word. It really is. He loves it when we owe. It says, uh, John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, keep my commands. His love language is obedience. And so um, he's, he's been um, reminding me of his word to me where he had said, I'm asking an unreasonable sacrifice of you. And, you know, God will often ask what seems to be an unreasonable sacrifice. Obviously, it's not if he asked it because he's God and he gets to ask anything he wants of us. He has lordship over our lives, but he'll ask us sometimes to do things that seem impossible. And if you know my story about addiction, then you know that he had asked me to lay down narcotics, which were the only thing that would help me, would help the pain. It was the only thing that worked. And he said, I want you to stop taking them forever for good. And he, before he said that, he said, this is going to be an unreasonable sacrifice. Why was it unreasonable? Because the doctor said I could take them. Because my family knew I had to take them. Because the pain was too severe to operate without them. I had every right and reason to take them. <laughs> and yet, the Lord said, you do, with one exception. I've said no. So then that's that, right? If he says no, then that's that, pussycat. you got to get rid of him because there will be no peace if you continue to do the thing he said. And so Jan and I got in this whole conversation about how there's no better place than his revealed will. If you feel like, well, what he has asked me is too hard, like I, can't, I cannot do it, I will challenge you and say, you can. You're like, well, it, just, it seems too hard. Take it five minutes at a time. You can do the hard thing God has asked you to do five minutes at a time. And after you get done with that five minutes and he's covered by his grace, go on to the next five minutes and then the next five minutes and the next. And at some point you'll walk out of that trial. At some point you will have obeyed the hard thing he said to do and you'll have victory in it. And sometimes we think, well, I, I just can't, you don't even know how hard it is. I, I think that we underestimate the credibility we get with heaven and with God when we do hard things. 
even when it's hard, you will grow in credibility. You will come out of that trial a different person than you went in because you did the thing that God said to do. God's way is always the best way. And so even other people will be like, I don't think you should do it that way. I don't think you should, uh, whatever, whatever it is that you're, you're saying, no, I think God said it. You know, I, I mean, even my husband was like, maybe you should just take a half of Vicodin. I was like, please don't say that. That is not helpful because, you know, I want that more than air right now, right? But because you, you, you're seeing the person suffer and you're like, well, that seems unreasonable. There's some middle ground here. No, with God, there often is not middle ground. It's just obey. He's got good things for you. And, oh, my gosh, I know that you guys will agree. The promises that God will bring about, the good things and the rewards that he has on the other side, the harder the obedience, the better it's going to be on the other side of that thing. Really, he has good stuff for you. He is like, come on, you can do it, you can do it, because he knows what's on the other side. What was on the other side for me was healing from the illness eventually and freedom from addiction. He's so good. So whatever it is he's asking, just do it. And I was thinking about in Joshua 6 how, you know, he was like, okay, Joshua, march around Jericho for seven days. You guys, it wasn't, we think Bible times were like almost a cartoon. They were like, it would be like if Pastor John said, okay, we're going to march around seven times with swords and stuff. Bring your sword, bring your trumpet. We're going to march around whatever set for seven days. I mean, wouldn't you be like, I don't want to do that. That's going to be embarrassing and weird. And if Pastor John is wrong and the walls don't fall down, we're going to look like idiots. People are going to talk about it's all over San Diego. Yeah, that church that marched around with, and they had swords. We had to call the police. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. Like this is real life. If they, if they have heard God wrong on marching around Jericho for seven, for seven days and doing all that, if they have heard God wrong, they're dead meat because they have lost all credibility. And so God was supernatural in the middle of the natural, just people like you and me. Now, Joshua says, we're all going to march. Okay, we're all going to march. And they did it. And the thing I see about that obedience, that level of obedience is bold, 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 bold. That is bold obedience. Do the things that God says to do. And you could be like, well, I'm not sure if it's God. Like, I think God has told me to go off narcotics, but I'm not. Well, it isn't the devil. (laughs) And it isn't your flesh, which is almost like the devil sometimes. Right? So who could it be? Where could that thought have come from? Hmm, where could that be? Maybe it's God doesn't want me to accidentally kill myself. Another middle-aged housewife in suburbia that accidentally killed herself on narcotics. Maybe that's why God is saying it. So just start to figure out who could that be speaking? Is it God? Is it for your good? And get confirmation. Go to his word. If you feel like he's saying something that's really a hard obedience, go to his word. But um, obeying him is a form of loving him. And that's not to say walking that tightrope and being the best little girl, right? We already talked about that's not it. But obeying the revealed will of God. And when I was in so much pain after going off the narcotics, but before I received full healing, I was in traumatizing amounts of pain. And it was so scary. I was just so, so scared to be in that amount of pain. How will I get out of that amount of pain? 
and, it, and I was just like, Lord, this seems sketchy. This seems scary. This does not seem right. I am on thin ice, and this does not seem right. And he showed me there's no safer place than my revealed will. There's nothing safer than to be smack in his will. Well, won't it always be easy if I'm in his will? No. Well, won't it always be super peaceful? No, no, not necessarily. Sometimes you'll go through hard things where it is just his will, and you'll just white knuckle it through, and you'll get to the other side, and you'll get to the peace, and you'll get to the ah, and you'll get to the joy. A lot of times he's taking us out of situations we have gotten ourselves into. And so you might have to pass through some weeds and some sticker bushes that you passed through the first time getting there. He might take you back that route. But either way, you'll end up a good place. Okay, last thing I want to end with is um, circling his goodness. So um, when it comes to loving God, I, I just feel like this is a um, great analogy and something that God's been using in my life. So I went to Convict Lake a few days ago. You've heard about all the snow and the water and the runoff. And so I'm up at Convict Lake and I'm walking around it. But, I mean, I'm walking through mud. I'm wading through streams. The gnats and the bugs and mosquitoes, I mean, I was like surrounded and I'm, I'm having to exert so much energy. It's hot. I've got my water. It's, but at the same time, it's pleasant. It's fun. It's beautiful. It's an adventure because of all these little streams I'm having to cross. There's ups. There's downs. At every angle, I'm seeing a different vantage of the lake. Everything is green. There's wildflowers like crazy up there right now. So there's different colored flowers at every vantage point as I circle convict lake, as I go around. And the Lord's been speaking to me. I want you to circle me like that. I want you to circle me. I want, I want you to take the effort that it takes to get to me and to circle me. Because sometimes we'll, we'll begin to circle God's goodness and we'll stop at like, oh, God, you're a deliverer. You're so awesome. And you think about his deliverances in your life. And then you get a little further around the lake and you're like, God, you're my comforter. You comfort me in everything, but then you go to your phone, or then you turn on the TV, or then you go somewhere else, and the Lord's like, oh, really, just circle my goodness. Just make the effort. See, the people that get to the back of Convict Lake, they know that it doesn't look anything like the front. And when you're back there, you see the mountains in a way that is 100% different. That is only for the people who will go and take the time and go through the bugs and wade the rivers and expend the effort and climb over the rocks to get back there. Let us be those people that will go to seek him. Let us be those people that will press in to love him. Because we can't even receive his love, that love I was talking about, being like that sponge, taking him all in, knowing the depth and the height and the, and the breadth of his love. We can't even be that unless we're going to press through to spend time with him. It's on the back of Convict Lake that you get filled up with that love. You're like, what's the difference between those radical God lovers, those weirdos that can't come back from the outer space of God's love? What's the difference between them and you? <laughs> They've just pressed around the lake. They didn't turn around at the first scratch. They didn't turn around the first time the mosquito came. Oh, there's bugs out here. Ew, ew, right? We aren't the city people that do that. We're the mountain people that seek God's presence, right? We are spiritually the mountain people. We go press past discomfort. We go press past the things you have to wade through. We go press past where everyone else is. When I was back there because it was so muddy and buggy, I can tell you, even though it was on a weekend in full, 
No one else was back there. So go where no one else is. Go press past. Circle God's goodness, his love, his generosity, the fact he is your judge, the fact he is your forgiver, the fact that he delivers you, the fact that he knows you. Circle his goodness. Spend an entire hour just looking at every vantage point that he shows you, and it will change your life. And be the ones that don't turn around. Be the ones that circle, that just spend that time. And so let me pray for you. Lord, there is so much more to you than we are seeing. God, there just is. There's so much more on the other side of our discomfort. There's so much more on the other side of our laziness. And I'm speaking to myself here. There's so much more on the other side of my apathy. Lord, if I've ever thought, meh, God, he's so good, but I'm, I want to move on to something else, then I have not pressed past the bugs. I have not pressed past the mud. Because there is aspects to you, Lord, that are so incredible, so worthy, so glorious, so magnificent, that if we could just even have one eyeful of heaven, one glimpse for a moment, we would be changed forever. God, we want to press past our flesh Press past our disobedience and press past even the fear that you don't like us or love us, that we're not good enough to spend time with you. I will press past the lie that I am not good enough to spend time with you. And I will seek you out. I will hold your hand and I will circle your goodness until I get it. And then I'll circle it some more. We commit, Lord, to press in more. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we thank Paul this morning? Thank you so much. I'm telling you what, I feel so stirred up in my heart. Thank you so much. You can stay up here if you want. He's like, I'm out of here. Now we're going to march around the building. No. (laughs) So let's stand to our feet this morning. What a powerful word. You know, I just feel so inspired to push this morning. You know, pray until something happens. And I was reminded as she was preaching um, that if the devil has robbed you of your joy, go get it back. If the devil has robbed you of your hope, go get it back. Because you have the authority as the believer to, what does the word say? Trample on serpents and scorpions.